been looking at John chapters 13 through 17. This is the longer passage in John 16. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. He's talking to his disciples right before he dies. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. In that day you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Please be seated. God wants to maximize your joy. God wants to maximize your joy. Six times in that passage, the word joy or rejoice is used. He says, no one will take the disciples' joy from them. And if they ask, they will receive that their joy may be full. Now, down through the ages, Christians believe that these promises were not just for the apostles. They're for us as well. There's a strong link between receiving what you hope for and joy, between receiving what you pray for and joy. And sometimes people let their unanswered prayers rob them of their joy. So today we're going to consider the very strong statements that Jesus makes about prayer in this discourse and how answers to prayer impact our joy, which Jesus wants to maximize. Now you know that when Jesus was doing his ministry, it was mostly in Galilee, up around the Sea of Galilee or the lake, and he would go from town to town. I believe he said many times much the same thing as he went. And lots of people started following him because he'd been healing people and casting out demons and saying wonderful things. So he's about to go into a little town called Nain, and it says a very great crowd is following him, which probably means at least 2,000 people, maybe 5,000. That's what the experts would say. And as they're coming up to this town, out through the city gates, little town, comes a funeral procession. And there's a, a, a young man who's dead. He's being carried on what you call a, a beer, B-I-E-R, which is like a stretcher. And he's the only son of a widow. The only son of a widow. And, of course, she's, she's weeping. And, and Jesus' heart goes out to her. It says he has compassion on her. And he says to her, don't weep. And he comes up and he touches the beer, which in that culture meant that makes him unclean. Now he's not able to go to temple for a week and there's various other other ramifications of that but he touches it and they stop and he says young man I say to you arise and the dead man sat up and began to speak and Jesus gave him back to his mother now people were astounded hanging around telling everybody and Jesus' fame spread but can you imagine how much joy the mother felt widow only son how would you feel at that moment, do you think she cared about all the times he had grumbled when she asked him to take out the trash? Or do the dishes? Her only son had come back to life, and Jesus had done it. Two to five thousand people 
mothers or fathers in that crowd whose children had died and not been brought back to life that night? What about all the parents who had prayed fervently and wept and promised to dedicate their lives to God if he would just spare their child if the child died? Now, there's certainly exceptions probably in this room and in our culture, but the vast majority of us, we will be outlived by our children. But in Jesus' day, half of your children died by 18. So statistically, there were probably at least a thousand parents in that crowd who had desperately pleaded with God to heal their child of some fever or sickness or injury only to see their child die. Now, we live in a fallen, broken world. I don't mean to minimize that. But the broken world they lived in in Jesus' day was far more brutal, far more devastating. Nevertheless, we do, we do suffer tribulation. We talked about that before. And our suffering wounds us. It often makes us never the same again, scars us. Most of you in here depending on your age, maybe if you're younger, you haven't done this yet, but most of you that are older, you have sometimes prayed desperately for healing or for relief or for help. And sometimes you've not received what you prayed so fervently for. Some of you have had loved ones die, a parent, a spouse, a sibling. Some of you lost your life savings. Some of you have been unable to find a good job. And it just keeps going on and on. Some of you have been in long-term pain or had a debilitating illness or a cherished loved one whose mind is going and dying. Some of you have lost a child by mistake, even after praying and pleading with God. Some of you have prayed and prayed to have children. Some of you have prayed for a spouse. Some of you wish you'd prayed harder for a better spouse. Lighten it up a little bit. It's a little heavy today. What are we to think? What are we to feel when we pray and pray and ask and plead and we don't get what we ask for? Would you either open a Bible or an app to chapter 14 of John? We're going to look through the various passages in this discourse that have to do with prayer. And they are strong statements by Jesus. And it's often difficult for us to reconcile in our beliefs how we're supposed to handle this. So we're going to start it in John. We're going to look at several different passages, so you want to keep it open and keep looking down to the next passage when we get there. But first we'll start with John 14, verses 12 through 14. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Now that seems pretty straightforward, doesn't it? If you believe in Jesus, he will do whatever you ask. Similarly, another time the disciples were unable to cast a demon out of a boy, even though they'd been trained, and Jesus said their problem was too little faith. And he goes on to say, For truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Now, these passages and a few others have been at the center of a controversy 
Um, it's not heated up right now. It has been in the past. Some believe that the only reason someone is not healed when they are prayed for is lack of faith. This has been at times part of the belief system of some of the very famous faith healers. Now, when I was a young Christian, I went to all kinds of different groups, and at least three of the groups that I went to believed this. And so, if someone were not healed, they said it was because they lacked faith. Now, there are millions of Christians on the planet who believe this today. Now, I saw many people be healed, but I also saw many people not be healed. And of course, it's easy to just blame that the person doesn't have enough faith. There are millions of Christians today whose leaders tell them that they or their loved one would be healed or would still be alive if if they just had more faith. Friends, always remember, even those used by God to heal many people eventually die. Everyone they heal eventually dies, often after some sickness. Let's look at a few more passages from Jesus' final words and then try to make sense of this. Look at John 15, 7. I think it's in the right corner down there. Jesus says, If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, the first passage is if you believe whatever you ask for will be done. This one is if we abide in and his words abide in us. So some people would explain unanswered prayer by putting these two together. You have to both have faith and you have to know God so well, know his words so well that you know what his will is. You know what he intends to do. You just know. And so whatever you pray for, you get. Now you see where this is going, don't you? Even the greatest theologians, even the people who memorize the New Testament, don't always receive what they prayed for. People that they love die. They themselves get Alzheimer's. Now, after this, where Jesus says, if you abide, verse 7, where Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Skip down to verse 11. You have to turn the page. And he says, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Jesus wants to maximize your joy. Part of maximizing your joy is not letting unanswered prayers steal your joy, rob you of your joy. By maximizing your prayer life, seeing many answers to prayer, but also understanding that you won't always receive what you're asking for. Look at verse 16 of chapter 15. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. Fruit, fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. That's Christ-like character. So some people say, no, it's not just have enough faith. It's not just know what God's planning to do. It's also be of good character, be Christ-like, and then your prayers will be answered. But you can always say that someone is perfect. We all are. You can say that they lack some fruit of the Spirit. You can blame their lack of faith or their imperfection or that they just really don't know God that well and what He's going to do. And then one last statement that we read earlier at the beginning of our text for today. John 16. Verses 22 and 24. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Again, what does Jesus want to maximize? Your joy. 
make sense of this? How do we reconcile all of these statements by Jesus that you'll get whatever you ask for with our experience of prayer and life? Now, a few weeks ago in this series, we'll put it on screen, we read the passage where Jesus said to his apostles, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Now, remember, Jesus often spoke cryptically. He used metaphors and parables that people often didn't understand. He didn't tell them clearly that he was the divine son of God. He used hyperbole, deliberate exaggeration. He was on a mission to save the world by dying for it. If he'd been clear, he would have convinced everyone they wouldn't have killed him. He would not have accomplished what he came to accomplish. So he delegates clarifying and completing God's revelation of truth to the Holy Spirit to accomplish through the apostles. They write with his authority. Peter even calls the writings of Paul scripture. So what did the apostles teach about prayer? What do we see in their lives as they lived this out and completed what Jesus was saying? Well, they say, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. So we're told to pray without ceasing. The apostles prayed a lot. They um, prayed fervently. They referred to prayer and praying often in their writings. Now, one of the passages that I believe is often misunderstood, so we're going to just read the whole thing and then get into kind of how we can process this, is from near the end of the uh, letter written by James, the brother of Jesus. James 5, 13 through 18. So hang in there and, and try and catch the nuggets on this. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. So what are you supposed to do when somebody's sick? And the elders gather and anoint them with oil. Has anyone ever been healed that was not anointed with oil? Sure. Jesus prayed and at a distance he didn't even touch him was the centurion's servant that was, was healed. Many times in the New Testament, people are healed without being anointed with oil. However, human beings, we're physical creatures. And for many people, being anointed with oil, they just find it helpful. That's great. It's very biblical. And the prayer, verse 15, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. And James writes, and the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. Some say, see, James agrees with me and with Jesus that it's all about whether or not you have faith. If you, go, if you have enough faith, they'll be healed. He also says we are to confess our sins to one another so that we may be healed. Can you be in open rebellion and God heal you? Well, he can, but sometimes that's why he doesn't. So it's important to experience godly sorrow and repent. James also says the prayer of a righteous person has great power. And some will say, see, James agrees with me. It's, it's not just faith. It's also you have to have Christ-like character. Well, God doesn't answer your prayers. Rick Watts spoke one Sunday here last year. Rick is a seminary professor. He travels all over the world teaching pastors. When I was in Brazil, we'd bring him in once a year, and his pastors loved him. And one time, Rick went to China, and he was speaking to about 60 people um, in a room, 60 Chinese pastors. 
But these weren't just any pastors. These were the founders of denominations and leaders. They represented about 30 million Chinese Christians. And so he's teaching them about the New Testament. And then it's not his turn to speak. And one of the Chinese pastors gets up and he starts sharing about what happened to him. And he says, I, right when I was just a baby Christian, just became a Christian, I said, God, I'll go anywhere. And I followed the Spirit's leading. And I went way out in the middle of nowhere in China. And I walked down the street saying, um, Jesus is God. He'll heal your diseases. He'll raise your dead. Come and let me tell you more about him. And so he's in a, a little room talking with some people who came about Jesus, and this woman bursts through the door, and she's carrying her son who just died. And she says, you said Jesus would raise the dead. And she puts him on the phone and says, raise my, raise my son back to life. Now, this guy's just become a Christian. And he gets down on his knees, and he starts yelling and crying and um, praying, that, and nothing happens. And finally, he says, God, if, if you don't raise this boy from the dead... I'm not going to follow Jesus anymore. I'll never tell anybody about him. And the boy comes back to life. And a bunch of people in the village become followers of Jesus, and they start a church. Now, Rick Watts is listening to this Christian leader in China say this, and he just doesn't understand it. That person just said, that's amazing. That's amazing. But he notices that the other Chinese leaders are, are not that interested. They look a little bored, even. So when they have a break, he goes to one of the Chinese leaders that he's been getting to know, and he says, wasn't that amazing? That, that Christian prayed when he was just a baby Christian. His boy came back to life. And the leader says, yeah. We all have stories like that. What we found over the years is that God does powerful signs and wonders, even raising the dead when we're out where Jesus has never been heard of before and where he's breaking through strongholds. But then as churches get established and Jesus becomes known, we see fewer and fewer of those dramatic kinds of miracles. We still see answers to prayer, but fewer of those dramatic miracles. Interesting. Clearly the baby Christian that God used to raise the boy back to life was not someone with mature Christ-like character. Actually, my impression is that God often encourages new Christians with more obvious answers to prayer, whereas some who've been walking with Jesus for a while sometimes don't get those answers. We read in chapter 5 of Acts that in the early church in Jerusalem there were lots of signs and wonders. People would put sick people out in the streets just so that Peter's shadow would go over them as he passed by. People came from all over. They were healed. They had demons cast out. Just like in Jesus' ministry. Remember Jesus said, and greater works than these will you do. And the disciples are doing great works. At one point Peter preaches and 5,000 people join the church. Another time, Peter prays for Dorcas, and she's dead, and she comes back to life. Much later, another time, Paul is talking and talking and talking late into the night. It's a warm room. It's on the third floor. This guy's sitting in the window. He falls asleep, falls down three stories and dies. Paul goes down. They bring him back up. He comes back to life, and I always like to include that one because I see some of you nodding off. You never know what could happen. Just saying. But then persecution starts in, in Jerusalem. Stephen is stoned to death. Eventually, King Herod seizes James, the brother of John, and beheads him. I think we can assume that the Christians were praying for James to be spared, that he was killed. And then Herod arrests Peter 
and puts him in prison. And the church is praying for him earnestly. And the night before Peter is going to come before Herod and undoubtedly be beheaded, Peter's asleep between two soldiers. He is chained to their wrists with his wrists. And an angel comes, kind of knocks on the side of his position, says, get up, put on your sandals, wrap your cloak around you, get dressed, follow me. Now, Peter's thinking it's just a vision. They pass by two sentries. A big iron gate just kind of opens by itself, and all of a sudden he's out on his feet and the angel disappears. He escapes, he lives many more years. He does eventually get taken into custody again, and he's crucified upside down. James is executed. Peter is rescued by an angel. Why were some prayers answered and others were not? How do you think the brother of James, John, who wrote this gospel we're studying, with these strong statements of Jesus about everything you ask for being answered, how do you think John felt when he prayed for his brother James to be spared and James was beheaded? I think John grieved his brother's loss. But I think he had already figured out that Jesus had not meant that he would always get everything he asked for as if it was just a vending machine. If you had enough faith, or you had enough faith and knowledge, if you had enough faith and knowledge and character. God used the Apostle Paul to cast out demons and heal many people. One time he's in prison, and an earthquake happens, the doors spring open, his chains fall off. when he had a debilitating ailment that he called his thorn in the flesh, he said it was a messenger of Satan sent to harass him. He pleaded with God to heal him three times, and God didn't. Did Paul lack faith or character or knowledge of God's will? On the last night before his death, after these passages were going through these weeks, Jesus goes to the Garden of Gethsemane. His disciples fall asleep while he pleads with the Father to find some other way to accomplish his mission. And Jesus prays, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in an agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. Now, Jesus wants the the Father's will even more than his own. He trusts that the Father knows what he's doing, but even Jesus, the divine Son of God, does not receive what he asks for. This is one of our prayer weeks. There's another back there. There's another being with more ribbons being added to it around the corner. Every ribbon represents an answer to prayer. Some of them were people being healed. Some of them were people getting jobs. Some of them were reconciliation and relationships. Some of them were people turning their lives over to Jesus. God is very actively working on answers. Lots and lots of answers there. I've seen all of these things happen. I've had the privilege of being involved with a group praying or even by myself sometimes and seeing these things happen. Is every single thing we ask for happen? No. But a lot does. And we should expect that a lot will. by God to heal a lot of people. He founded the denomination called the Vineyard. And I was at a conference once where John Wimber was sort of demystifying this whole thing about prayer and when prayer is answered and how to, how to kind of figure all of this out. 
and I thought what he said was very wise. He said something like this, approximately. He said, when we first started praying at the vineyard for people to be healed, nothing really happened. But after a while, people started getting healed. Eventually, when we prayed, about 20% of the people were, prayed, were healed immediately. About 20% of the people were healed over time. And about 60%, nothing happened. We don't know why. We just prayed. I love that. been in situations where I know people were praying for me and I believe angels saved my life. I've been prayed for and had my back healed immediately. I've been prayed for for many other things. I've prayed for people and seen things happen immediately over time. I've often seen people not be healed. And I'm still bald. I have yet to meet anyone who received their hair back. things. You don't, you don't have to have everything that you pray for always happen to feel like God loves you and is powerful and is intervening. He just, he knows more. I encourage you to pray constantly as you go through your day. I encourage you to pray at least to separate out 10 minutes and pray and focus on God. Pray specifically for what you want. Expect God to do miracles. And when God obviously answers your prayers, would you please put a ribbon on one of the wreaths and if it's a really cool story, would you please let us video your story so we can encourage everybody? You can do various takes on the video. You don't have to do it right now. My favorite passage on prayer is the one we started with today where Jesus says, Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. To experience God powerfully answering my prayers, I don't have to have more faith than a tiny I don't have to know what God's going to do. I, I don't have to be perfect. I just have to come to him like a child and ask for what I want. A toddler, what does he ask for? He asks for his bottle of milk. A, 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 an adult, what does he ask for? Solid food. And as you develop, little trust will change. He's told you to ask that your joy may be full. God is working hard to maximize your joy. And you don't want God here, as we talked about last week, as a helicopter parent. But what he does is minimize your pain and make sure enough you never fail. That, see, he knows that your true glory in heaven, what gives you the most joy, will not be your famous easy successes, but the times that you suffered for others like he did. And you will be overwhelmingly grateful that he did not make it easy or give you some of the things you asked for, but gave you the privilege of suffering for others. Now, does it still bother me when I cry out to God for people I love to become followers of Jesus? Yes, it bothers me a lot. But their rejection of him bothers him a lot more than it bothers me. So trust him. Ask to receive. We're extremely excited about this fall and offering Alpha. And I wanted to finish today with just a sample from Alpha because it's about prayer. Great message.
school, we had prayers on Sunday, which everyone was thanking God for. But to be honest, most of them, none of us had a clue what they were praying about. At home, my family prayed for everything. Lost pieces of Lego, parts of spaces, meal times, a trip to Dunwall and Brexit. I never really knew why. I just thought praying with God wasn't in early life. The only time I used to choose to pray was when I was in trouble. Say much. 